This morning, as we look into God's Word, we're going to consider the master of the elements and invite you to to join us. Now, I invite you to access your scriptures at this point, whether you access them on a physical Bible or on an electronic device, but go there to Matthew chapter 8, if you would please, to Matthew's Gospel, the 8th chapter, and we'll be coming to our scriptures very shortly. When I read, I'll be reading from the NIV, the New International Version. Now, Pastor Ryan has taken just a brief vacation here. He has been bringing us some wonderful sermons surrounding the, the life of, of David, the incidents and circumstances of the life of David, then extracting and drawing from those uh, spiritual truths and lessons that apply to each one of us in our lives today. And, uh, you know, if you uh, appreciate this series of messages that he's been presenting and that he will continue to present, when he returns, if you haven't told him so already, uh, tell him how much you have been blessed by them and appreciate them and encourage him, if you would, please. Because I can tell you that every pastor can, uh, can certainly handle and often needs all the encouragement that you can bring to them. So please let him know that, uh, if you would, please. Now this morning, before we come to our scripture lesson, we're going to do our Bible pledge. So I want you to consider either your physical Bible or the electronic device that you're using to be your Bible this morning. And uh, so I'm going to ask, first of all, if all of you would please stand together that are able to. And if you have your, your uh, Bible, your scriptures with you, when we come to page one here, there's two pages to this Bible pledge. I'm going to ask you, invite you to raise your Bible to the Lord as we, as, we, as we recite this pledge. This is my Bible. It is the lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It tells me who I am, what I can become, and where I am going. It renews my mind changes my heart, and refreshes my soul. It is my daily bread. By faith, I will believe its promises, obey its commandments, and honor its principles in my life. With the Bible as my guide, I will walk by faith and not by sight. Praise God. May that be so for each one of us. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, as we come to the eighth chapter of Matthew's Gospel, first of all, I want to apologize just a little bit for the slides on the screen that you're going to see. Uh, When you look at my slides on the computer, they have a very dark black background, and they just jump out at you. And uh, on Friday, Rob brought up these two little monitors over here, and that's exactly the way those slides look there, and that's exactly the way it looks right down here. But for some reason on the main system, everything is kind of a gray, blurry background. But I hope that you'll be able to, to read them and to see uh, what, what we have there this morning. We're going to come to the 23rd verse of the 8th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. 
The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Then the men, the men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Would you please bow your heads with me in prayer, please? Father in heaven, we come before you with your word open before us, asking for your guidance and direction in each of our lives individually. Lord, we know that you don't see us as a crowd, as a congregation, as a group, but Lord, we know you love us, you care for us, and you see us as individuals. You know our needs, our concerns, as they relate to each one of us personally. So pray, Lord, I pray that you'll minister to each and every one of us here today according to our individual need for your ministry and your inspiration. And Lord, if there be that one or those here this morning that do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that before this hour is over, that they will yield their hearts and life to Jesus and invite him to come in and be their Lord and their Savior. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to tell you, uh, according to what we see in the scripture, it was a dark and, and stormy night. You know, the, the wind howled, blowing the top off the breakers before they crashed into the troughs below. The darkness was broken momentarily by streaks of light as the clouds raced across the face of the full moon. And you ask yourself as you look out there, is, is it possible? Could that really be? You know, is that, is that a small open boat that's out there in the middle of this tremendous storm, barely afloat? I mean, it was hard to believe, but there it was. And if we're able to zoom in on that hardy little fishing boat, we would discover that it was occupied by 13 men. Twelve of them were fighting for their lives. One of them was sound asleep. Sound asleep. And you'd have to ask yourself, I think, how in the world did experienced fishermen who had their own boats and who had fished these waters of the Sea of Galilee their entire lives, how in the world did they get themselves into this kind of a dangerous situation? The story is found right here in Matthew chapter 8. You know, it's been a long day for Jesus and the disciples. Christ had just finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He had cleansed a leper. He had healed a centurion servant. Peter's mother-in-law had been healed. And Christ had touched and healed many, many others. The multitudes had gathered around him. They had pressed upon him. They were looking to, you might say, get a piece of him. And it had come to the end of a very, very long day. And Jesus, being in a physical body, just as we are, he was totally beat. He was exhausted. He decided that it was time to take, a, to take a break. I'd like to ask you a question. How many of you have ever found yourself in a position where you had to work a 24-hour shift straight? You know, how many of you? I see some hands. 24 hours straight. I've had to do that a, a few times in my lifetime. I remember the first time 
Well, I was just a young dude, and I was, pa- I was uh, managing a stop-and-go convenience store in Oxnard, California. Open 24-7, of course. Well, in the middle of one night, our clerk working that shift was held up by a gang of robbers, and they beat him severely. He had to be rushed to the hospital, and when the rest of my crew heard what had happened, they were all so frightened, they all quit. The company contacted me and notified me that they expected the store to stay open, and that within 24 hours, they would supply me with new associates that were already trained from other units uh, to, to fill the gap as far as employees were concerned. But in the meantime, they expected me to keep the unit open, which I did. Many years later, when I was pastoring at Lake Tahoe, you know, on Valentine's Day, there are hundreds and hundreds of couples that come to, to be married at Lake Tahoe. And this one particular Valentine's Day, I got the bright idea that uh, I would start performing wedding ceremonies for couples at midnight beginning Valentine's Day, and that I would perform a wedding ceremony marrying a couple every 15 minutes till midnight at the end of Valentine's Day. You go ahead and add that up if you want to. (laughs) I was so exhausted, and my voice was so shot, and my mind was so gone by the that last couple, I'll never forget the consternation on the look of the groom's face when I asked him if he would be willing to be her lawfully wedded wife. (laughs) Jesus was totally exhausted here. And so the 13 of them, they get into a boat, which is probably either Peter's or James's, and they head across the Sea of Galilee. And then, and then we read in Matthew 8:24, without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. Now, on the Sea of Galilee, it could happen just that quickly, because the, the sea uh, sits in, in, a, in a funnel-shaped valley. And the shallow depth of Galilee creates a a situation where it's quite susceptible to where the relatively calm sea could be swept into a deadly cauldron very, very quickly. And as Matthew said, without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake. Listen to how Mark describes it in Mark chapter 4 and verse 37. But soon a fierce storm came up, high waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Now I think, to some degree, I can identify with the disciples here. I don't know about you. But I think I would have been pretty frightened, maybe almost scared to death in that kind of a situation. But because I'm susceptible to motion sickness, I think I would have been sick as a dog as well. Here's 13 men in an open boat. Twelve are terrified, one's asleep. Now the one that is asleep, that one is not just resting, he's not just dozing, he's not just taking a nap, this dude is sound asleep. Now if you talk to someone that's tried to sleep 
on a boat in a storm, they'll tell you that you can, you can pick one of two positions in which to try to sleep. You know, either your bunk is fore and aft, that is, your, your head will point toward the bow, you know, that's the pointy end. And if your bunk is like that, your entire night is spent with your head pushed up against the wall, your feet trying to follow, and the result is that you wake up feeling like you're six inches shorter than you were when you tried to go to sleep. Now the other way that you could sleep is what they call thwart ships, and that's sideways. And if, if that's the way that your bunk is situated, then you, you spend the entire night trying not to roll out of your bunk onto the deck. And whichever way you try to sleep, you know, you're like a coiled spring when you wake up in the morning and you have sore elbows and knees from bracing yourself. So that is the situation that Christ was sleeping in, compounded by the fact that it was an open boat, so he had to be soaking wet at the same time. But just remember the long, exhausting day of ministry that he had just experienced I believe that Jesus was ready to sleep, no matter what the circumstances were. Verse 20, verse 25 tells us, The disciples went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Now, I don't know exactly when they said that, what they expected Jesus to do at that point. But I think that they were so desperate that they were grasping for anything that they could think of that might help them. Well, Jesus woke up, he rubbed the sleep from his eyes and said, you little faith, why are you so afraid? Now the scripture doesn't tell us what their answer or response was to that question. I think maybe they were too terrified to answer or even to notice what he had said. Matthew continues, then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. So the sea suddenly became calm. The Bible doesn't say that the wind died ground gradually or the storm slowly went away. It says that the sea became completely calm. Now folks, under natural laws, it doesn't work that way. Even if the wind stopped blowing, it would take a while for the sea to calm down. Unless, of course, unless, of course, you can step outside of natural laws. So can you say Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God, the actual creator of the universe? Now at this point, the disciples still didn't have a complete grasp on who Jesus really was. That's why I don't know what they expected when they woke him up, because they still didn't really realize who he was. Healing the sick is one thing, but this is what you might call a horse of a different color. It's a whole new ball game. This guy can control nature. Wow, he truly is master of the elements. Well, how do I know that they didn't have a complete grasp on who Jesus really was? Well, look at verse 27. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, the story ends here. 
But I think I know what happened next. I think Jesus went back to bed, slept like a baby, and the fellows stayed up for the rest of the trip and talked among themselves and tried to digest what they had actually seen happen with their own eyes. But listen up, folks. Jesus is more than simply master of the elements. He isn't just master of the universe. As marvelous as that really is. You see, he wants to be, he can be. He longs to be the master of your soul. Of your soul. So I'm going to ask you to recognize very briefly three truths. And if you look on the back of your bulletin, you'll see the beginning of an outline. And I would encourage you to, to fill in the blanks and take it home with you, if you would, please. These three truths. The first one is this. He is the master of your past, of your past. Now, now you realize, I'm sure, that everything that's happened in your life up until 8 a.m. on July the 30th, 2023, is gone. You can't redo it. You can't undo it. And if it hasn't already been done, you can't do it yesterday. You now have absolutely no control over the events that have already happened in your life. None. None. You know, you may regret it. You may wish to change it or do it differently. But you're out of luck. Now, the worst part is that for each of us, you know, the past is occupied by our youth. And I've become convinced that if you're going to do anything really, really dumb, you're probably going to do it when you are quite young. The vast majority of abortions are performed on women between the ages of 18 and 24. Most impaired driving charges are laid against those under 25 years of age. The majority of traffic accidents involve at least one driver under the age of 25. Those who move into a life of crime usually start in their late teens. Did you ever wonder why that is? I don't know. I think maybe I have the answer. You see, if, if, everybody, if everybody's like me, your brain doesn't fully engage until you're somewhere in your mid-20s. As a matter of fact, even now at 80, mine just keeps going in and out from time to time. It would seem that those in the public eye, as we get into an election season, it would seem like those in the public eye are discovering more and more that the past could come back to haunt them. How many of those running for public office wish they could obliterate the indiscretions of their past? I'm sure that most of us, most of us, have things in our past we regret. We may not be able to control the past, but guess what? Jesus Christ can. He can. See, yesterday's gone. What's happened yesterday's done. The sins that you've committed, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the sins you have committed in the past will never, ever be held against you if you have repented of them and sought Jesus Christ's forgiveness. Those sins are separated from you as far as the east is from the west to be remembered against you no more. If you have come to Jesus Christ, confessing, repenting, 
and inviting him to become the Lord of your life, he has forgiven you, and the guilt is wiped away. See, Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be, what? Wiped away. Wiped away. So you need to also, though, in addition to those willful times of, of sin, you also need to leave the mistakes of the past behind as well. The mistakes. You know, Les Brown said, if you are carrying strong feelings about something that happened in your past, they may hinder your ability to live in the present. The master of the elements is also the master of the past. And only he has the power to erase the mistakes of the past by eliminating the guilt in those past mistakes. Now here's the second important truth that we're looking at today, and that is the fact that he is the master of your present. Of your present. The, the biggest single barrier to Gene Lee becoming a Christian was that lifestyle. That lifestyle that was expected of me as a young man. I mean, I was brought up in a legalistic Christian culture. I knew all the don'ts and won'ts and can'ts and musts that went along with professing Christ as Savior in, in a culture of legalism. I knew that I couldn't live the life that I ought to live. And sometimes I still can't. But the thing is, I don't have to. Because Gene doesn't have what it takes to on his own and in his own strength lead the Christian life. But guess what? Jesus Christ has bucketfuls. Bucketfuls of what it takes. And he is giving it away. How often, over the 20 years that I was senior pastor here, how often did I hear people say, I can't. I can't do that. I can't stop doing this. Well, of course, you can't. But have you ever stopped to ask the master of today to enable you, to help you, have you laid your pride at the feet of Jesus and said, Lord, I don't have the strength to accomplish what you've set before me. Please help me. Please help me. But that isn't the only part of today which he's master of. Because Jesus is adequate for whatever befalls you. Whatever you come up against, all your suffering, all your grief, all your disappointments, there isn't one area of your life, not one, where Jesus can't touch you and guide you and help you. Not a single one. But you know, we're taught to be self-sufficient, aren't we? And we become convinced that we have to do it all by ourselves. Robert Louis Stevenson said, Anyone can carry his burden, however hard, until nightfall. Anyone can do his work, however hard, for one day. Anyone can live sweetly, patiently, lovingly, purely, until the sun goes down, and this is all that life really means. Well, folks, I wish it was that simple. But if it was, guess what? We'd all be skinny, 
sober, and non-smokers. <laughs> but we can't always get through the day by ourselves because the burden is too heavy and the day is too long and the temptation at times becomes too great. And that's when we need to fully and completely rely on Jesus. And sometimes it seems for us that it's very, very tough for us to let go and be dependent upon him. You know, it's, it's kind of like when kids hit about two years of age. And they're so adamant, you know, two-year-olds. You know, I do it myself. I do it myself. You know, they want to get dressed by themselves. They want to comb their own hair. They want to brush their teeth by themselves, shampoo their hair, all by themselves. Now, that, that's a phase that passes very quickly. And pretty soon, they're right back to wanting and expecting the parents, you know, to do, to do it all. Sometimes I wonder, though, if we're trying to prove to God that we're all grown up, that, that we don't need help. I wonder if we're trying to demonstrate our independence. But here's the conflict. Christians aren't supposed to be independent. They're supposed to lean on Jesus. To lean on Jesus. A pastor friend of mine was recalling when their son Stephen was about three years old. And Stephen was very, very sick with the flu. They were praying with him at bedtime. And he looked up at his parents and he said, Can Jesus take my sick away? Well, folks, the truth is this. Jesus can take your sick away, no matter where the sick is. No matter how bad the sick is. No matter what the sick is. Because guess what? Jesus is in the taking away sick business. Maybe it's financial problems. Or spiritual problems. Or emotional problems. Or personal problems. Or physical problems. Jesus is adequate to give us each one the strength that we need in every circumstance of life. Jesus is adequate because he is the master of the present. He is the master of today. Here's the third and final truth, and that is this. He is the master of your future. Your future. I think probably each one of us may have our own favorite philosopher, you know, that interests us or maybe even amuses us. You know, my, my favorite philosopher has always been Yogi Berra. I didn't say Yogi Bear. <laughs> Yogi Berra. You know, Yogi Berra was, uh, you know, an, uh, a, a Hall of Fame catcher for the New York Yankees uh, when they won seven world championships, you know. And I, I've often turned, you know, he became famous for his yogiisms, as they called it. And Yogi said, it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. Isn't that philosophical? Don't you, don't you love that? Tough to make predictions, especially about the future. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, does two things with the future. First, he relieves the worries of tomorrow. Wouldn't that be wonderful? He relieves the worries of tomorrow. And secondly, he retrieves the dreams of tomorrow. But we don't want to worry, do we? 
Sure we do. Sure we do. I mean, it's like any other bad or annoying habit. If you really wanted to quit, you'd quit. You might want to quit so people will stop annoying you, or you might want to quit because of you know, other external factors, but until you want to quit for you, you won't. If the truth was known, those of us who worry from time to time, I think do it because to some degree we partially enjoy it. Clive James said, stop worrying, nobody gets out of this world alive. <laughs> Which is why Jesus asked in Matthew 6, 27, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? You see, Jesus has everything under control. Everything. Our work, our families, our finances, all of it. See, Jesus is just as adequate for tomorrow as he is for today. When I was senior pastor here, there were times when I found myself lying awake in the middle of the night, worrying about concerns that I was aware of that were some of them behind the scenes that nobody else but maybe one or two people were aware of that I was afraid would drastically negatively affect Laughlin Community Church. And there would come a time when I would simply have to say, hey Lord, it's your church, you worry about it. Jesus owning the future isn't a negative thing. It's Jesus who gives us our dreams for tomorrow. We need to concentrate on today, but, but today is going to end at midnight, and what then? What are your plans for tomorrow? Or next week? Or next month? Or next year? Or five years from now? Where will your career be? Where will your spiritual life be? What will be the condition of your family life? And what about your other personal relationships? Belva Davis made this statement. Don't be afraid of the space between your dreams and reality. If you can dream it, you can make it so. I mean, if you, if you don't have any dreams, if you've come to a point where you don't have any dreams, if you don't care about tomorrow, then why do you get up in the morning? If, if your only goal is to get from here to bedtime and then do the same again tomorrow, you're in a rut. And you know what a rut is, don't you? A rut is just a grave with both ends kicked out. And if that describes you, then you're not really living. That isn't what Jesus promised in John chapter 10 and verse 10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. That's what Satan wants to do in regard to each one of us. And he's being quite successful with many. Steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That is his will and that is his desire for each and every one of us here today. To give us a rich and a satisfying life. So I ask you, is Jesus the master of your past? Do you know that you've come to him in repentance, seeking forgiveness? 
opening your heart and your life to him, that he's come in. The Holy Spirit, the birth of the Spirit lives within you. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your guilt is washed away? That separated from you as far as the east is from the west to be remembered against you no more? Do you know that? Do you know that he is the master of your past? Do you know that he is the master of your present? He is the one that is leading and guiding you day by day. And you know that because you're accessing what he's made available to you so that you might know his will and purpose. You have set aside dedicated time for looking into his word every single day. Not just reading it, but meditating upon a small portion of it and then praying over it and seeking his guidance, his counsel and direction. He's the master of your present because you've placed your present in his hands. And you know the importance of his word, the holy word of God, the Bible, to give you the guidance, the direction, the strength, the counsel, every aspect of what you need for today. And because you do your part, you know he is the master of your present. And then you know that he is the master of your future, that he has your future in his hands, that he's the only one that you can fully and completely and truly trust with your life and every aspect of it. Do you know him as your master? You can. You should. And all you have to do is ask him. Is ask him. Would you please stand together with me? In a moment we're going to have a, a time of invitation. And when we come to that time of invitation... I'll be down front here. We're going to be, the worship team will be here. They'll, we'll be singing. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he's drawing you to him, come down and share that with me, and let's pray together. Open your heart to him. If you find that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you've grown cold in your relationship with him, and it's become distant, you need to rededicate your life to him. Come down and share it. I'd love to pray with you. Perhaps there's some other issue in your life that you're dealing with right now, and you just need prayer. I invite you to come as we sing and share that with me, and we'll pray privately together. As we pray, I'm going to ask the worship team if they will come. Would you bow your heads in prayer, please? Father in heaven, thank you for all of your blessings. Thank you for your ministry in our lives. Lord, right now we wait before you, and we know how important it is for the precious Holy Spirit to draw us to you. So we wait before you right now, and we ask, O oh Lord, that you'll minister to us. May those that have need yield to the tenderness of your Spirit, and may we know that those who may not know you this morning as Lord, that we see and witness the greatest miracle of all, the salvation of one soul. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.